You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, Episode 51, The Twilight Zone. Well, welcome back, everybody. It's Mike and Dave with you again, and we're here with a follow-up to our discussion last week, of course, the genre anthology series. Had to talk about The Twilight Zone and it's getting a lot of buzz, Dave, considering it's on CBS All Access. I'm wondering if this is actually working out pretty well for that subscription service in conjunction with Star Trek Discovery. You know, I'm really torn about the whole concept of CBS All Access. I understand they've got to make money. And now to get subscribers on board, they've got two pretty major series to entice you. Right. And this one was released Kind of interestingly, the first episode came out on YouTube and other digital platforms for free before, uh, or actually it was on the same day that it released on CBS All Access, I guess to entice people to at least sign up for the 30-day trial to get the first and second episodes, which both released on April 1st. And then the April 11th episode would come later for those who were enticed by those first two. Now we're going to talk about the first two which happened to be my favorite of the four that were released to press for advanced screening. And so I am happy to say that the two we're going to be talking about are good. The third one, not so much. I actually had to review that one for Den of Geek. We'll talk about that a little bit in the spoiler zone. But I want to mention up front, Dave, that we're going to be talking about The Comedian. I think there's some disagreement as to which one is episode one and which one is episode two. We're going to be talking about The Comedian outside of the spoiler zone since it was released on YouTube. And then the other episode, Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, will be in the spoiler zone, as will our commentary. Very brief on the episode that just aired a few days ago, Replay. All right, well, at least they didn't do what the History Channel did to me when I was covering Vikings in, in I think, season five, where they put the wrong screener up. <laughs> and yeah. I had actually posted a review for what turned out to be the season finale when there were actually still two episodes to go. I don't know if you recall, I had to get you to pull it down. Yeah, yeah. That happened to me with Counterpart once where they said that the air date was a week before it actually was on the press site. But yeah, that's the pitfalls. I, I do think that because the comedian did come out in early release, I'm going to call that episode one and Nightmare at 30,000 Feet as episode two. But you may see it reversed in other platforms in fact including den of geek i believe but i liked these two david did you enjoy the ones that we saw it gave did it give you hope that we were going to have some other good ones in the future to enjoy well you know it's funny because if you recall when we were talking and i was a little bit concerned that these were just rehashes of rod serling era twilight zone episodes and you reminded me that well jordan peele is trying to present an homage to the original twilight zone and i really understand this from wayne's perspective as he's told me about trying to get his sons who are teenagers to watch the original star trek and they look at the black and white first season they look at the cheesy settings the stilted acting and dad, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. So I understand wanting to redo and revisit these outstanding episodes for a contemporary audience. And of course, the Twilight Zone remake did do a remake of Nightmare at 20,000 feet. So, you know, that is something that has a precedent. But 
To talk about the Twilight Zone, of course, we have to remind what Dave mentioned in our last podcast, that Twilight Zone practically invented the anthology series on TV, although Tales of Tomorrow and Science Fiction Theater did predate the Twilight Zone, but Twilight Zone really put it into the popular limelight. And it was immediately followed by The Outer Limits and Alfred Hitchcock Presents, both of which I really, really enjoyed, and both of which were also rebooted in later decades. So, And Dave, you mentioned that this is the third reboot. I believe it's the fourth. There was a very brief one-season flop reboot of The Twilight Zone in 2002 on UPN. But of course, many of us, uh, I was in high school when the 85 to 89 Twilight Zone reboot was on there. So this is technically the fourth time that the Twilight Zone has been on the air. And so Jordan Peele has brought a certain sensibility. I think he's going a little bit more for topicality rather than universality. Would that be fair to say? Well, it would be fair to say. I just wonder whether or not it's the right choice to make at this point. Yeah, I agree, especially with replay, the third episode. But uh, let's go ahead and dive in to the comedian. This one is outside of the spoiler zone, so I encourage you to watch it on YouTube if you haven't already. But otherwise, we're going to treat the comedian as outside the spoiler zone because it's available to everyone, even non-subscribers to CBS All Access. This one was written by Alex Rubens, who was one of the writers on Key and Peel, where Jordan Peel got his start. And it actually does have very much a flavor of the Twilight Zone original, and I think it really set the tone for what this series might be. And I was actually quite pleased, especially since it starred one of my favorite stand-up comedians and actors from Portlandia, Kumail Nanjiani, who played Samir Wasan in this one, the political comedian. Oh, okay. You know, he was familiar. I didn't watch very many episodes of Portlandia, but he certainly was familiar to me. Yeah, he popped in every now and then. (laughs) So did a lot of people. (laughs) But, you know, this character, Samir Wasan, is a political comedian, and he's got this tired joke about the Second Amendment (laughs) that doesn't seem to really fly with his audience. He doesn't really like observational humor, though. He wants his comedy to make a difference. So as he's discussing with Dee Dee, who seems to be the star attraction at this comedy club. He's at the bar and happens to run into a famous comedian, J.C. Wheeler, played by Tracy Morgan, who I guess in this case we're supposed to take him as the devil in disguise, making a deal with the devil type of thing. Oh, yeah. And he was perfect. And was he in a car accident? There was something. Tracy Morgan? Health related several Uh, years ago, I thought. I think you're right, and I'm glad to see him in in a really great role that showcases his comedic delivery and his ability to be quite serious and evil and a little bit macabre. And he's vaping there, you know, looking very smoky and devilish. But he tells Samir that he's got to make his comedy personal, but once you connect with the audience, it belongs to them, and it's gone forever. And... I guess I got a sense of where they were headed with this, but it certainly didn't ruin it. I really thought that the Twilight Zone nature of that premise was solid. Well, like you said, I had a sense that I've been here before, but I I really like the way things played out. And and obviously we'll talk about that. Right. And it starts out subtly. And I like how they introduce story elements very slowly and not holding your hand through the narrative because once he makes a joke about his dog, he appears to get some audience response. But then when he goes home, 
his dog isn't there and his girlfriend Rena doesn't even seem to recall having a dog. And so you're saying, oh, and I think the beauty of the Twilight Zone is that not only does it have its twist endings, but there are plenty of episodes where the audience knows what's going on long before the people in the episode do. Exactly. And and that's the beauty of the way this episode unfolds, that it takes him a few times before he really understands what's going on. Right. And it creates a logical path for him to follow in terms of rationalizing it to himself because he takes his girlfriend's nephew, Devin, to the comedy club. God knows why. <laughs> it's not important. But he does make some jokes about him, too, because he realized that the audience responded to it, not necessarily because he thinks it's dangerous at all. But Devin disappears, too, as soon as he makes a personal joke with the audience. And suddenly his girlfriend, Rena, doesn't even know who Devin is. And in fact, is kind of offended that he would mention a son for her sister who apparently can't have children. <laughs> so in this new version of the timeline, because you can even see it that way in a time travel way where they are erased from history. And that's actually the, the argument he makes to himself. Well, I didn't kill him. He just no longer exists. So that's not so bad. He, he's trying to make it so that he didn't just kill his nephew. Right. And they give us the shot of the photograph on the wall that Devin no longer is in the crowd. Yeah. And interestingly, they did show that picture. I did a rewatch and noticed that when they went to Jordan Peele for the Rod Serling like opening narration and can I just say Jordan kills it. Oh, yes, he does. In that department. <laughs> yeah. And they did pan past that picture and Devin was in it originally. So that was a nice touch. So next he tries different things. You know, he tries the nephew joke again. The audience does not laugh. He tries a joke about the president, <laughs> which I think was an interesting little dig, a very subtle dig. But nope, that doesn't fly either. So he has to come up with fresh material. And in fact, he actually goes back to that initial statement that he made to Didi. I want my comedy to make a difference. And there just happens to be a comic that's kind of a sleaze ball with the ladies. And he thinks, Samir thinks, that Joe Donner, this fellow comedian, killed a woman and her baby at the bus stop through a drunk driving incident, I guess is what it was. Yeah, yeah. And so when he tells this story, it's not even funny. It's not even a joke. But the audience responds in this way that you realize that, oh, it doesn't matter if he's funny. It just matters that he's sharing something personal. And so when he talks about Joe Donner, the bus stop that was damaged in the car accident that killed this woman and her child has now been repaired. And Samir actually starts to feel better about this mystical thing, this Twilight Zone thing that's happening to him. Yeah. And I love what comes next. He realizes the power that he now has. So what do you do when you have that power? Make a list. Make a list. Yeah. He kind of had a visual organizer, which I thought was a nice way to do it. His social media following skyrockets. And I do think that there is a theme, a sub theme, if you will, about social media and the importance of personal image and caring about what other people think of you, uh, because sharing that personal side of you is what we do on social media. And, and what is the cost of that, I think, is a message that comes through quite strongly and and effectively as well, don't you think? Oh, oh no question. Yep. And so, okay, you took care of Joe Donner. He was a sleazeball. How about taking care of a bully that murdered his fiance that he recalls from his younger days or Coach Keller, 
who molested children. He remembers that story from when he was in school himself and what a creep that guy was. And it works. It's doing great. And I think he was on the right track. (laughs) You know, the Twilight Zone never works out that way where they stay on the right track. But, you know, he had a pretty hefty list that could have lasted him quite a long time if he had parsed them out one at a time. Right. But you know what I really love is that even though he figures out what's going on, he understands his power, he still begins each set with the gun control, the Second Amendment shtick. But what's funny about that, and I agree that that's a good touch, but he doesn't try. Like, he literally will start the routine with, so the Second Amendment starts with a well-regulated and then stops. Right. He knows it's going to bomb. Yeah. (laughs) He just wants to test the waters, I think. But I also like that he tests something. He saw a guy on the bus with a bunch of uh, swastika tattoos. He tries to say, oh, I saw this guy on the bus. He was a neo-Nazi, so that was interesting. And the audience does not respond because it's not personal, right? Right. But having said that, I do think it's interesting that later on in the episode, he's able to discuss with some hecklers out there, some hedge fund guys who are giving him trouble about the Second Amendment joke (laughs) that he tries yet again, that, you know, what's your name out there? He tries to do some crowd work and it does work that time. Do you think that it was enough that he asked their name and engaged them in conversation that allowed him to use them in his comedy rather than the neo-Nazi on the bus that he didn't engage in conversation. So it wasn't personal. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the fact that they are hedge fund guys, I mean, (laughs) we all like hedge fund guys when they make us money personally, (laughs) but they are easy targets. Yeah. And that was great because it just shifts history around. And I like that from the time travel perspective where the hedge fund guys, there's three of them. He only makes fun of two of them. So the third one is suddenly sitting there with a girl, like a date. <laughs> so he's still there. But that's what's so interesting about the dark turn it takes, because it always has to take a dark turn in the Twilight Zone, where he starts off accidentally. Uh, well, it's not really accidentally. He starts talking about David, played by Ryan Robbins, who at first we're wondering, why is he in the apartment with uh, Samir and Rena? But apparently David is Rena's mentor. She's a lawyer and he got her where she is. But they don't say that up front until Samir uses him in his comedy and he disappears. Do you think that kind of increased the effectiveness of the shock that occurs later? Well, I I do and I don't, because, you know, even in those early scenes, you get a sense that this is a guy that's that's (laughs) got a crush on this girl who's a a bit younger than he is. And but as you say, once we find it out at the end, the whole aha factor, I think, works really well. Right. And it's it's funny that you know, he's clearly waiting in the wings until Samir <laughs> screws up <laughs> so that he can sweep in and, and pick up the pieces. But yeah, he makes a joke about her mentor and suddenly she's not a lawyer anymore. She's a waitress. Sorry, I got to go on my shift. I can't s- catch your set, even though you're this wildly successful comedian now and even breaks up with him because apparently they didn't have some very important trip to Paris that they used to uh, repair their relationship because they couldn't afford that trip to Paris with her being a waitress. So I just thought that was a really cool effect. I'm surprised it didn't happen drastically with anything else other than that, but it was effective because of the fact that we weren't expecting something to change 
other than someone just vanishing from history. So very cool idea. And that's when things go off the rails. JC Wheeler even shows up again to tell Samir to weaponize what he's done. And because the comedy club owner has now decided that Didi and Samir are his top guns and there's somebody out in the audience one night to recruit for the Gower Hour, which I assume is something like Saturday Night Live or something like that. Ah, that's what I thought. Yeah. All Samir has to do, and you can see his hesitation, is Dee Dee does her set. And as he takes over the mic, says, keep it going for Dee Dee, everybody. And, of course, just that is enough to erase Dee Dee from existence. And, you know, I think that probably the second episode we're going to talk about took this dark turn too far. Whereas this one I think went just far enough because Rena shows up, found his notebook, realizes that it's just him being superior to others and taking others down. He's not actually funny and challenges him to use her. But instead he starts talking about himself, about someone who brought no joy to the world, just needed validation just wanted a bunch of selfies from strangers, even though it was completely meaningless. Thought that was a very insightful way to put it just before he says, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, I have been Samir Wasan and the mic drops. And what a great image that is because you know, the mic dropping has multiple meanings there, you know? Well, it really reminds me of a Frederick Brown short story called rebound, which you probably don't know. And I'll, let you guys out there look it up for yourselves, but it's about a guy that understands that people do what he says. And yeah. well, you mentioned Frederick Brown in our last podcast. Oh, we, we were did. doing anthology series because he was one of the writers for. Oh, uh, you're right. That's right. For one of those shows. I don't remember which one, but yeah. So lots of twist endings. And in fact, that I just like that the mic drop means he was going out with a bang, but also going out altogether. Yeah. <laughs> so. And did you notice that the back wall of the comedy club had a bunch of faces that looked kind of warped and they zoomed in on his face? Do you think that wall was all the people that made that deal? All the different comedians? I, I got to be honest. I didn't notice that. I'm anxious to now go back and look at it again. Yeah, I thought that was a, a nice little ending as we go to Jordan Peele again. And great first episode. I really had high hopes for the series based on that. Now, we're going to go into the spoiler zone next as we talk about Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. Some people may have already caught this episode, but it's in the spoiler zone because it's only on CBS All Access. And uh, we're going to talk about some of my misgivings, mild misgivings, about the show when we get back from the break. You are now entering the spoiler zone all right dave so nightmare at thirty thousand feet is an homage to the original nightmare at twenty thousand feet which of course was the episode i mentioned last week where william shatner saw the creature on the wing and couldn't get anyone to believe him and i guess i thought they were going to go with that exact same formula the way they did with john lithgow in the 1990s remake of the twilight zone but they went with a completely different premise, which I think pissed off some critics and was okay with others, such as me. I, I was perfectly fine with the podcast idea. Exactly, because you're integrating something that is so contemporary, so much a part of people's lives now that it's just such a, a great narrative device. 
Right. And it still plays on that same idea, the Cassandra complex, where you just cannot get people to believe you, even though it's just right there for everyone to see or hear or or the proof is in the pudding kind of thing. Now, I think that they also played on the psychological thriller aspect of this because Justin Sanderson, played by Adam Scott of Parks and Rec and Ghosted, you know, he plays this journalist who has had some psychological breaks in his past. And that kind of lends to the idea that he can be in stressful situations and not necessarily be believed when he tries to tell people about it. But on the flip side of that, he's a journalist. And so he has that investigative drive to try and figure out what to do about this and how to prove that this podcast is actually predicting what will happen to flight 1015. And I think this is similar in in the fact that the plane's fate itself is in danger, just like in the original. And I also think it's worth noting that this is the one episode of the first four that was doled out to the press ahead of time that has Jordan Peele as one of the writers. He's not the main writer, but he does have writing credit on this episode. And I think that that bears mentioning because of the unevenness of some of the later episodes that are to come. All right. Now, you know, you mentioned Justin Sanderson, the journalist, and we, we learned that he wrote a magazine article, I believe it was, about the end of civility. What did you think about the use of the 1015 over and over? Flight 1015, leaves on 1015, leaves at 1015 p.m. at gate B15. Yeah, I think B might even be one zero in binary or something. I don't know. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I don't know, because it's not just this episode. Replay has 1015. The cop's car, 1015 is on the car. On oh, the, good point. Uh, I on didn't... the patrol car. And in the fourth episode, which I won't mention too much about since it hasn't aired yet, but it does have 1015 as like an alarm code at one point. So keep your oh, eye on that for those people okay. watching it. So I have the feeling that that's something that's being snuck in by Jordan Peele or the writers in general. You can check out my spoiler-free review on Den of Geek for one of my theories about that, but I don't really know. I don't really know why they did that. (laughs) But it's interesting, too, that the podcast actually is in, or I guess it's an MP3 player, is in the pocket, the seat pocket, of a seat that Justin Sanderson was not originally supposed to sit in. He had a first-class seat, and he gave it up to an Arabic family who was having trouble because I think they didn't pay for enough seats for their child. They couldn't sit in their lap or something like that. Yeah. Right. So that, I thought that was interesting that, that he wasn't originally supposed to sit there and I'm, I'm not sure where, what they were going for there, but it was an interesting little twist that, that he ended up in coach because of being civil. You talked about the end of civility, his magazine article. So they do play with that a little bit. The fact that they're headed to Tel Aviv means there are some Arabic people on board, some Sikhs on board. And I do think they want to play a little bit with the topicality here as well, where um, some judgments are being made about people's race and their level of dangerousness based on that. So uh, it's subtle. And I think they did a good job of this, of that in this one. But what did you think of the fact that the MP3 player was kind of old looking and had this, uh, almost looked like it was an old tape recorder or something like that. Yeah, you know, I'm not really sure what to make of that. Uh, You know, on on the one hand, I think they want us to question time. Mm -hmm. When are we? 
Right. I feel like I'm talking about dark now. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I liked about it is the fact that it is old technology. Just like in Replay, the, the episode that comes third, they have an old camcorder in that one. So I just thought, I don't know, just an interesting touch. I don't know if it means anything. But another touch that I have to mention up front is that right away, any X-Files fan is going to notice that the captain of the flight is Krychek and <laughs> Nicholas Lee. And uh, there were a couple of different notable Canadian actors in this episode and others based on the fact of it being filmed in Vancouver, I'm sure. Well, and I'm looking at a photo that you brought me back from a convention of Nicholas Lee from Continuum Days. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And of course, we know him from Travelers. He's in, yeah, he's in Travelers, too. So I always love seeing him, of course. But the first thing that we notice about this podcast, the tragic mystery of Flight 1015, is that it takes Justin a while to figure out that it's talking about his flight. He just picked it up out of curiosity. And it isn't until the podcast mentions that Flight 1015 first had problems when a bird struck the engine at 10.21 p.m. And just then a bird hits the engine and Justin is like, what the heck is going on? And they drop little hints now and then as to what might be happening. I'm sure there are some people that said they saw the ending coming, but I certainly wasn't sure other than a vague sense of suspicion when Justin goes to a seat towards the back and Joe, an ex-pilot, confirms that, yes, it was a bird that hit the engine. But this Joe guy, he was dismissed from his job under mysterious circumstances, but he also asked for Justin's autograph in the airport. So this weird connection that they have seems to go beyond just the weird self-fulfilling prophecy that this podcast creates. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No question. I mean, and it's one clue after another. And again, I can't help but go back to the title of the magazine article he wrote that dealt with civility and what must the rest of the passengers be thinking as this nut won't sit down and leave the personnel alone. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's going to cause stress regardless of what Justin thinks about this podcast, but he thinks that he can avoid it somehow. He's even taking notes like a journalist. So when the podcast says that the pilot's last words were good night, New York, and that the flight disappeared at 1115, not only does he now know that they're working on less than an hour now to solve this problem, but he thinks that just telling the pilot, Nicholas Lee, <laughs> not to say good night, New York is going to be enough to avoid this fate that the podcast is saying lies in store for them. But of course that exact thing, when he tells captain Donner not to say good night, New York, why do you want to say that? Well, because you know, we're going to crash so that the plane won't crash. That's when the air marshal <laughs> puts zip ties on Justin and confines him to his seat to avoid the panic of the, of the crew and that he might be, endangering others. So I just think it's interesting, the self-fulfilling prophecy angle of this, especially since the podcast seems to mislead Justin at times talking about Russian operatives on board. He approaches a Russian guy in the seat that the podcast mentions. And the guy says that he's just a basketball player and not someone in witness protection. And I'm not sure what to believe about that. Good point. I, I, I mean, I didn't really think about it at the time, but might be misdirection on his part. Right. So I think the only criticism I might have of this, besides the very end, which I 
really didn't like of this episode is the fact that there was some confusion that was not in a mysterious kind of way. It was just confusing in a confusing <laughs> manner, which, you know, you don't want that kind of confusion. But obviously Joe realizes that he has an opportunity here. He asks Justin, you know, I'll, I'll get this plane landed. Just tell me the code to the cabin. And he suggests 1015, which is a, a colossally horrible choice for a <laughs> code on flight 1015. But sure enough, it works. And Joe is able to put everyone to sleep with cabin pressure and temperature controls. And he crashes the plane, I guess, as a disgruntled employee. Is that what we're supposed to believe? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So definitely uh, an ending that maybe as it got closer, you could see it coming. I do think that it was a little weird that the monitors on the seats allowed people to see into the cockpit just so that we could see Joe do that. That was, that was thought that was a little contrived, <laughs> but you know, I wish they had just stopped there. Why didn't they just stop with the plane crashing fade to black? You know, I, on the one hand, I, I feel as if they're pandering to the audience by <laughs> giving us the ending that they give us, because I agree with you. You should have stopped at that point. Right. I don't understand why we needed part two of the podcast saying that, guess what? Not everyone is dead. All the passengers were found alive on an island in Nova Scotia, except for Justin Sanderson. I mean, I don't know. And plus, it did give us an opportunity to see a stuffed animal floating in the surf that looked exactly like the beast from William Shatner's episode back in the 60s. Yeah, that was a nice touch. (laughs) Yeah, so that was fun. But yeah, I thought that took it just a tad too far. And speaking of that, I'm going to wrap up our discussion here with just some general impressions of Replay, which aired a couple days ago on CBS All Access. You can see my review, my full review on Den of Geek, but I was so excited by Replay because it was a time travel episode in which a mom is taking her son to start college. She has a camcorder that when you hit the rewind button, it rewinds time and she's able to try to avoid pissing off this cop, this racist cop, and tries to be nice to him, tries to take a different route to college. Nothing keeps this cop from doing bad things to them. And I just thought that it wasted an opportunity because it had a great theme where she had to visit her estranged brother and the estranged brother had to remind her that she has roots. She, she shouldn't, you know, just because she's gotten this fancy job, she shouldn't forget about where she came from. I thought that was such a better message to that episode instead of the sort of black lives matter theme that, that this writer went with. Uh, because it was very, very heavy handed. And I'm someone who's totally behind the Black Lives Matter movement. But, you know, I just felt like it was totally too overplayed. Well, and I guess the question becomes, how much social commentary do we want in our art? And I guess I'm of the feeling that at one time it was necessary because people didn't have the outlets that they have now. That said, when I sit down to watch entertainment, I want to be entertained, not spoken to. Well, especially since Jordan Peele has a great ability to do very subtle social commentary and satire in his movies and in the first two episodes of The Twilight Zone. So why this one went so deep with it? Because it upstaged its own message, I think. So it could have gone for universality, like I said at the top of the podcast, but instead went for topicality. 
And I think that was a mistake, but I have hopes that we'll have good ones to come. The fourth episode was really great. And I think that you're always going to have ones that you don't like. Even the original Twilight Zone had some real duds. (laughs) Well, and I wouldn't even say I didn't like it. I really liked the device of the camcorder being able to rewind time again not unlike the travelers episode where the the skydiver yeah. keeps coming down over and over again and, and learning something and it was it was really fascinating to watch her become more and more frustrated as she tries to bring that police officer onto her side and it just wasn't going to happen no matter what she did he his racist tendencies were going to be there yeah, I just, I guess I just thought it ended up with caricature, <laughs> a caricature well, did, yes. of a sure. Black Lives Matter movement instead of an actual realistic portrayal, especially when they got to the college and all the students kind of backed them up. It's like, well, that's good. And, and solidarity is wonderful, but I don't know how realistic it was. And and that's a tough thing to say when you're talking about a Twilight Zone <laughs> episode. But, you know, the twist was the camcorder. And that's what they, I think, should have focused on, plus the importance of family and all that. So. Great acting job from the lead actress, by the way. But uh, anyway, I think we're going to have lots of good ones to come. I've seen some previews for future episodes of the Twilight Zone reboot, and I think we have some really interesting ones coming down the pike. So hope you guys are enjoying the Twilight Zone and um, anthology series in general, because uh, there's plenty out there for us to enjoy. But we've been on season one of new shows since 2019 began. But what do we got coming up, Dave, that is finally a second season, a sophomore season? Well, we're going to take a look at part two, which is what the OA refers to what most of us would call its second season. Yeah. And boy, you talk about endings. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to have to go a little bit Russian doll on this one (laughs) next week. But the OA is something that has eminently bingeable season one. I think that one's only eight episodes. So if you haven't watched the OA and you want to catch up with our podcast discussion of part two, go ahead and get on Netflix and watch the OA part one. It's quite, quite good. And the OA has a completely different flavor to it, but continues some of the wild, wild world building that the first one set up. So join us for that one next week, but that's going to be it for this episode of sci-fi fidelity. Keep the discussion going on social media. You can follow den of geek on Twitter and Facebook at den of geek us. And we are at sci-fi fidelity. And in the meantime, we'd love it. If you could rate and review this podcast, wherever you access it, be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics on social media or in an email to sci-fi fidelity at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week.